I hope you join me in Romans chapter 13. We're going to see what sums it all up. Romans chapter 13, we're going to be looking in verse 8. This little paragraph, and we're going to see how does this fit in this whole section. And we're going to see what it is that's getting all summed up. You with me? Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. They've done what the law requires. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. Those sound familiar? And whatever other command there may be, they're all summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Does that one sound familiar too? Verse 10. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. This is the word of God for the people of God and we say, thanks be to God. A couple weeks ago, we were driving down Beltline, not far from our house, and I saw a church sign. And most often, church signs kind of make me roll my eyes. They've got dad jokes, corny Christian jokes. Usually, I'm not a huge fan. But this church sign got my attention. Here's what it said. Do unto others. Actually, let's stop there. What do you think it's going to say? Do unto others. Can you finish that sentence? Do unto others as you would have it done to yourself. Right? Maybe that's the King James version that do unto others. But it's famously known as the golden rule. Right? Do unto others as you would have it done unto you. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7, and Jesus said, this sums up all the law and the prophets. This is what the whole Old Testament is about. So I'm driving down Beltline, and I see do unto others. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, golden rule. Great. Been there, done that, seen it. I can keep on driving. But I read further. It said, do unto others... But it didn't finish the well-known phrase that Jesus said, now known as the golden rule. It said, do unto others as if you are the other. And some of you are out there saying, okay, but isn't that basically the same thing? And the answer is, of course, yes. Yes, it is. But it's one of those subtle rephrasings that turning it just slightly that gets your attention. You know, if you've been doing this thing for five months, you've been at home more than you've ever been home, and you start to redecorate, right? Maybe you're like us, and you move that one photo from this wall to that wall. You move that one little piece of decoration from that shelf to that shelf. And all of a sudden, that one little photo or decoration that you had seen a million times in that place, all of a sudden, you see it. Why? Because you moved it. It had been there, seen it, been there, done that. 
it's invisible to you. You've, you've seen it, you've been there, done that, and then all of a sudden just moving it slightly causes it to be visible again. It snaps your attention back. You say, oh, oh yeah. That familiar object that was always there all of a sudden gets your attention again. That's what that church sign was for me. Do unto others as if you are the other. It was that simple rephrasing that got my attention. The New Testament in Paul and Jesus and John and a lot of other writers and places rephrase this huge command, love your neighbor as yourself, in different ways, in different places, that gets our attention. Because it should never become invisible to God's people. So in Romans chapter 13, the passage that we just read, Paul is rephrasing this central, essential command and says, the whole thing is summed up with this, love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the fulfillment of all the law, all the 613 commands. If you're doing this, you're doing the whole. It's all summed up with this, love your neighbor as yourself. Write down Galatians 5.14, because Paul will say it again. Another place, another way to get our attention. We need to see it, friends, and that's where we're going to be spending our time. It's all summed up with a love Whoops, that decentralizes ourself by seeking the good of the other. That's Adam's rephrasing. I'm looking for my dry erase board that seemed to have disappeared that illustrates this. Hold tight while my producer Amy looks for it, but let me say it again. The love that sums the whole thing up decentralizes self, okay? It moves from self-centered to other-centered by seeking the good of another. If you didn't catch it, let's look at it. Can you read my handwriting there in the middle? Do you see my goofy pictures in the corners? That's where we're going to be spending the rest of our time. Adam's version of rephrasing what Jesus said, what Paul said, is this. The whole thing is summed up with a love that decentralizes yourself. It moves you from the center and puts them at the center, the other at the center, by seeking the good of the other. That's where we're spending the next few moments because we've got to keep seeing it. We can't go numb to it. So I'm going to say the same thing lots of different ways so that we can see it and live it because our world, our families, our communities needs God's people to get what matters central. That's what we're after tonight. You with me? The first thing I believe it means in everyday life is this. Love is a debt that will always owe. That's what Paul says in Romans 13, verse 8, when he says, let no debt remain outstanding. He's not saying don't incur debt. He's saying don't get buried in debt. Don't miss a payment, except when it comes to the payments of love toward your fellow 
believers in the family of God. Love is a debt that we'll always owe. It's an interesting verse to begin our section, but it makes sense in the broader passage in Romans. You've got to understand that Romans 1 to 11 is a dense theological case being made to a group of people learning to love each other and live together. It's a dense theological case being made that God has seen fit through Christ and the Holy Spirit to bring all nations into God's family, even if it means they don't become Jewish. This is what a majority of the New Testament is about. Hey guys, the family reunion is going to be huge next year. So here's how you can learn to love one another. He's made all the theological case in Romans 1 to 11, and then he takes a hard shift in Romans 12 that says, here's how to not act like an idiot at Thanksgiving when Gentiles and Jews are together at last. So Romans 12 has that famous verse about Becoming a living sacrifice, and that's your honor. That's your form of worship. No longer bulls and goats and rams, your whole body. So in sacrifice, you've got to do this thing. Then he says, in humility, Romans 12, you've got to do this thing. Don't consider others better than yourself. In fact, associate with people of lower status. Y'all, in Romans 12, right in the middle, I wanted to preach that text almost this week because it's like the essential, greatest hits, super practical, here's how Christians ought to live. It's powerful. It's the essentials. The family reunion is going to be huge. Here's how you love one another. Then he goes to Romans 13. Here's how you get along in your civic life. The beginning of Romans 13 is often used and abused, but basically he's saying, look, you owe respect, you owe taxes, and you owe it to obey the laws. Don't give God a bad name by acting a fool and being crazy. You owe respect and taxes and obedience. So if you're going to pay those things, also let no debt remain outstanding. Don't get buried in debt. This is how to live your life together. And then he makes a shift. He says, oh yeah, except you're always going to be indebted to loving each other in the family reunion. You with me? He's getting super practical and he says, hey, before we get any further, just let me underline, highlight, and circle this and say, you can pretty much sum the whole thing up by loving the other. And it's a love that decentralizes yourself by seeking the good of the other. And you're going to have to put this thing on auto pay so you don't miss a payment. You are always indebted to those in the family of God, those nearest you, those around you, to love them. That's why I put that infinity symbol there. Love is a debt we'll always owe. It's kind of like my student loans, but even on into infinity. You know, one of the things that has helped me uh, be mindful of this is some pandemic questions. And there's an article that was in The Atlantic that I came across this week 
that talked about these questions, these little checkpoints, day in, day out, that help you thinking, you know, did I do my part? Did I make my payment? And some of the questions in that article, maybe it'll show up in the chat box if somebody can help me out there that I sent it to this week. But maybe some of those questions that help you make those payments are like this. Did I listen well? Isn't that a way you can love the people in your house? Not to just check out and zone out? Did I listen well? Another question raised in the article is, did I have fun today? Y'all, we all thought we would be back at church and back to normalcy by now, but man, we've got to keep seeking joy and having fun. So did I have fun today? That's a way we can love one another is just enjoying each other, right? How about this question? This is one of mine. Did I connect with Amy? Did I remain fully present, fully engaged? Did we have a moment where I could look back to today and say, man, I was really engaged. I was with her. I tried to give my best to her. I sought her good. I put her at the center. I moved myself out of it. How about for my kids? Did I connect with Emma and Nora today? Did we play and have fun? Was I fully engaged, fully present? These are some of the ways I'm making my payments for those closest to me. There's a crazy documentary called Spaceship Earth. It's on Hulu. Honestly, I haven't watched the whole thing. Honestly, I watched it because it reminded me of a movie I liked when I was a kid called Biodome. Yes, it's about the biosphere from 1991, the true life story where eight pseudoscientists locked themselves in to this man-made habitat for two years. Within that habitat, it looked like something at the Dallas World Aquarium. They had a rainforest, they had like a desert area, they had a place where they grew crops, and these eight pseudoscientists went in to this biosphere, this biodome, and they only had each other, and they were left to fend for themselves and feed themselves on only what's inside that biosphere. Okay, They were raising their own crops. They were doing their research. Their mission was to try to conduct this experiment if we were to ever colonize Mars. It also brought a lot of media attention on how we're caring for our Earth and sustainability. They had good intentions, but it didn't go so great. What happened very quickly, as they were monitoring their life inside this vacuum-sealed biosphere, is they began to notice that they were fighting a lot. They were grumbling at each other. More than that, they were struggling to even do simple daily tasks. The things that took them not hardly any time at all were all of a sudden labor-intensive and difficult. And finally, one of the people monitoring the air quality within the biosphere noticed that within a short amount of time, the oxygen levels plummeted and the carbon levels skyrocketed. They were living inside an environment that was causing them to be irritable and causing them to struggle because the environment had become literally toxic. We've been at this for five months, and I need to tell you it's okay to recognize that the environment 
in which our country finds itself is not conducive to loving each other well or just doing the simple things that used to be a lot easier. It seems like for so many people that love and patience and understanding is plummeting and frustration and impatience and misunderstanding is on the rise. We can't even agree about wearing masks when Christians should look at science, look at what we need to look at, and say, is this about me and my rights, or am I just trying to do a little thing where I can, when it's wise, because I love my neighbor? It's become politicized. Probably what I said, I was trying to kind of sit on the fence there, probably became politicized for some of you. All I'm saying is this environment is not conducive to hearing and understanding and the giving and the receiving. We need to understand that hard things are being made harder. We need to understand that the rug has been swept out from so many of our lives and interactions. And we are living in a space that we need to be really intentional. We need to be asking those questions. We need to not miss those payments. We need to love each other well because love is a debt we're always going to owe. Start with the people in your biosphere, in your bubble. What are the ways that you can get understanding and patience up as school starts, as people go back to the office, as we go into the next season? It's going to take more responsibility, not less. It's going to take more intentionality, not less. It's going to take more creativity, not less. Can we love each other through it? Love is a debt we're always going to owe. Don't miss a payment. Now, the second thing that Paul begins to shift gears into is he says, you know, this commandment, that commandment, he quotes the sixth, seventh, uh, eighth and tenth, I believe, of the Ten Commandments. He says, you know all those things, right? That's the kind of love and law that I'm talking about. You've got to remember that in Exodus, when God liberated a people from slavery, for generations they had been oppressed and abused and put down. He liberates them, and he's got to show them how to be fully human again. When someone's been used and abused and oppressed, there's a reforming, a reshaping that has to happen. So in the Exodus, God brings them to the wilderness and very quickly within the story, God says, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people. So hear this, hear this. The learning to be fully human happens within the context of a relationship of love with their creator. Here's the user manual I'm the one that created you. Here's the user manual for how to live well. I'm going to show you a way to live. I'm going to give you a place to live. The Ten Commandments were the intro statement of what it looks like to be fully human within the context of a relationship with our Creator. This is how you learn to be human again. So don't cheat on her don't kill him. Don't let resentment fester within you when you see what they have and it reminds you of what you don't. Don't 
take what's not yours. These are the ways a community unravels. And if you love someone, if you love your neighbor as yourself, if you do to others as if you're the other, well, you're not going to kill him. Well, if you love her, man, you're not going to cheat on her because you don't want to be cheated on, right? If you really love him, you're not going to steal because you wouldn't want him to steal from you. I mean, this is basic human life. The creator is telling us within a relationship that says, it's going to go well for you if you do this. But then in verse 10, after he says, love your neighbor as yourself, really hits at all of these commandments, obviously you'll see that it does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, this kind of love is what this whole thing is about. It's the fulfillment. You will have done what God is asking of you as a newly liberated people learning to be fully human within the context of a relationship with the Creator. You will be doing what He wants if you can get this in your bones. Because the Ten Commandments and the 600 others really just boil down to trust that God knows what He's doing and it works its way out of your life into love of neighbor. Which is what Paul is getting at when he says the whole thing is summed up. Love your neighbor as yourself because you can only really do that kind of love if it's within the context of a loving creator. Let me just say it this way. You know that the love of God is working in you when the love of neighbor is working out of you. Let me say that again. The love of God is working in you when love of neighbor is flowing out of you. Here's why I think Paul is implicitly saying that. This is not some simplified legalism. Do this to get to God. He says, if you're loving, it's a way of loving that shows that God has really got to you. You get it? It's not a simplified way of saying, just do this to get to God. No, it's a way of loving that says, yeah, you're doing that, which means that God has got to you. Do you see the difference? In 1 John, John says that we love because God has first loved us. That because we love others, it's because God is love. And whoever loves knows God and has been born of God. It's not do this so you get to God. It's you're doing this, which means that God has got to you. Do you see the difference? That's why I think he's able to summarize the whole thing with this kind of decentralizing, seeking the good of other kind of love, because that's cross-shaped. That's God-shaped. If you're doing that and you're not missing a payment, it's because God has got to you. You didn't learn this thing on your own. It's because the Creator has instilled you and empowered you with this kind of other-centered, seeking the good of them, love. Are you with me? I hope I'm not overcomplicating the essential fact that the love of God is really working in you when the love of neighbor is working out of you. And if you love them, man, you're not going to kill them. That's my goofy little drawing down here. That's why he says the whole thing is summed up in this. So if love means you're doing no harm to the other, 
That's a gut check kind of moment. And the gut check is, in what ways have I harmed my neighbor? Because that's the place that I'm choking off the love of God. I'm kinking that hose. If I've done harm to somebody, it means that I'm not honoring what God is trying to do within me. So how much harm has God's people done to our neighbors? How much in the last five months when we see the desperate cries of some of the people in our communities of African Americans and other communities of color, the way that minorities have been affected by all that's happening here, how you and your neighbors of any color have been affected. Have we been a cause? Is there something I need to own in what I've said and what I've not said? Is there something that I've done or not done that's inflicted harm? Love those does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. That's a gut check moment. Have I missed my payments that I've owed to the people in my circle and the people beyond it, my neighbors? That's something we've got to own. That's something that we've got to repent. And I want you to sit with that question. I need to sit with that question because God is trying to let his love get into us so that it can get out to others. It's an environment right now that's not conducive to that. We see a lot of venom and vitriol and misunderstanding, but we have got to make those payments. We've got to decentralize our own self and seek the good of others so that they might look at you and us and say, the love of God really is working in them and it draws them to their creator. But sometimes, I'll be honest, we can lose sight of it. So I want to end with a way that it got my attention. A way that helped me realize what really sums the whole thing up. Late Tuesday night, um, after a couple long days, Amy and I are reconnecting late in the evening. And we started to have one of those, we're processing our life in the pandemic still after all this time because it's always moving and evolving and adapting. We're talking about the year ahead with school, with Amy now not working, and just trying to figure out what's going on. We are processing together all these people that we know that are struggling and that are in need. Something I talked about at the pandemic when it began, and I was preaching this idea, this concept that Jason Knight, I heard, talk about quarantine guilt. So I started to process that like, man, I still feel like I could do more and what am I doing? And oh, I just felt this sense of dread and guilt. And then we started to really talk about all this. And I said, you know, it's at times like this when I kind of really start to feel it. Am I enough? Am I doing enough? That I kind of shared with her a morbid inspiration I said, I don't want you to get the wrong idea like I'm self-centered. But sometimes I wonder what people will say about me at my funeral. Sometimes I wonder what sums up my life. And it doesn't just happen by accident. There's got to be some intention there. 
If I want people to say, he was good to me, I've got to be good to them. If I want people to say, he helped, he tried to love, I need to try to help and try to love. If I want them to say, he was a faithful pastor to Jesus and to others, he tried to pastor like Jesus, he tried to love others, I've got to be intentional. And we were talking about this where it's less about all the things I do in forms of accomplishments and success and really more about being fruitful. And why I said I don't want to be self-centered is I'm not asking you all to just take some notes and make me out to be somebody I'm not. I'm just trying to say like I need to live my life with some kind of intention here. And I started to think, man, I think a life well lived is a life spent loving well. I think a life well lived is a life spent loving well. No wonder love is what sums up this whole thing. No wonder it gets reiterated and shifted around and moved from wall to wall throughout the entirety of the New Testament. No matter No wonder when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest? He says, it's to love God and to love neighbor as yourself because you know that the love of God has got to you when it's working its way out into love of neighbor. Well, that was late Tuesday night. And then Wednesday morning, I was reading that article I mentioned earlier in The Atlantic, Those Pandemic Questions, that has a link to another article called The Moral Bucket List written several years ago by David Brooks in the New York Times. And he basically says, are we going to live our lives for our resume or for our eulogy? What's going to sum it all up? I hope that it's a love that decentralizes self by seeking the good of the other. That's what Paul's getting at. That's what Jesus is asking of us. Let's not miss a payment. Let's understand that this is what the whole thing was driving at, teaching us how to love in the context of our relationship with our Creator. We know that the love of God is working in us when love of neighbor is flowing out of us. So let's do no harm to a neighbor, for love is a fulfillment of the law. Tonight's benediction is written by Nathan Nettleton, and he writes, Go now with courage in our God. Declare the message of the gospel which God has entrusted to us, and in wholehearted love for God and for others, share not only the message, but your very selves. And may God be your haven. May Christ Jesus lead you into love, heart, soul, and mind. And may the Holy Spirit bless the work of your hands and gladden all your days. We go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ, amen.